to see you. Great to be here. Good to see all your faces. A lot of you I know. Um, uh, yeah, Pastor Frank and Kathy, um, they don't know this, but you guys really inspired us with your adoption story. Really did. And we always thought of you guys very often about your story and and uh, in a lot of ways. So I could spend an hour talking about that, but um, it's great to see you guys. Um, thank you, Pastor uh, Bailey, to allow us to be here. And thank you to the Wambolts for their very gracious hospitality, letting us eat, eat all their food. And my son's just been playing nonstop with their dogs. And uh, so my son, Caleb, you'll probably recognize him. He's like the lightning that will go through the room with a pink shirt. So... Um, we're up here visiting family in Maine, and I'm originally from Newton area. I was born in Newton. Uh, so my family, my dad lives up in York, Maine, so we're just spending uh, a few days up here with him. And uh, right after church here, I wish I could stay longer in fellowship, maybe next time, but we'll have to go right up to uh, Maine for an event. So, um, So hopefully this won't be the last time we won't be... Um, we'll be here. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and let's start with a word of prayer. You know, Pastor Bailey was telling me that uh, you have a Bible school here. It's a discipleship school. I love the name of that, and I think that's what we're going to use in Houston, because it's really a biblical name. It's like, you know, teach, preach, teach, make disciples of all nations. And so um, I think we just may steal your idea. We'll kind of put like an asterisk right next to the school name, like Marlboro. Um, and then also one other shout out. Um, you have a Texan here. Did you know that? There, I'm sure you guys know that there's a Texan actually here from the, from the city where we live. We're living in spring, right? Are you Spring, Texas. And so Chris Wright over there is, uh, he's been down there. When we first moved to Texas, he was there with us. And we spent some time together with him and his, with, with just him, right? And... Um, and he did, he did well because we really pushed hard <laughs> to have you guys move down with us. And so like in Baltimore, everyone that we talk to gets the Texan pitch. So they still like us. So, you know, we pushed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, it's great to see you, Chris. And uh, thank you for your prayers in Houston. Um, the Lord's actually we're not in Houston proper. We're just outside the woodlands. And uh, the Lord's just given us a new building and we're just seeing some growth and it's really exciting. So keep us in your prayers. Uh, John chapter 8, we'll start at John 8, and then we'll go to Romans 8. Two eights today. John chapter 8, and then we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you for this church. And what a vision this church has with a Bible school. Uh, 50 students, I heard, that are just um, in the word, studying and, and preparing and getting ready to be sent out. This school has a vision to send out a team. That's amazing. That's so encouraging to hear. Lord, we just pray that you would bless this church, each family that's represented here. We thank you for the faces and the people that we know for, gener for I almost said generations, for decades. And Lord, we thank you, God, for the work of, of the Bible Speaks and the Greater Grace World Outreaches. Thank you that we're a part of that. We're affiliated with that. We ask that you bless this message in Christ's precious name. Amen. And amen. John chapter 8, we've been talking about, we've been talking about the mind of Christ 
as well as just this topic of mental health and really this when we talk about the condition of people's minds today the the condition of our minds as Christians uh, we really live in a culture and a society that is really plagued by broken thinking and this impacts our decisions it impacts all of our relationships and mostly it impacts the way we look at our calling as a Christian and I just want to talk about that today and when we think about mental health I'm not going to I'm not going to be psychological here um, I but I do want to look I think at the greatest chapter in the Bible that could ever address our mental health and that is Romans chapter 8 um, the Bible the Bible is described as really as the ring of that God gives to the believer and if the Bible is the ring then the diamond on that ring would probably be the book of Romans I think and the sparkle on that diamond I think would be the eighth chapter of the book of Romans I think if I was put in prison and I was told you can only have one chapter in the Bible uh, pick that and that's what you're going to have for the rest of your life I would choose Romans chapter 8 because I think it has the theology and the teaching of all of our finished work everything that we rejoice in in our freedom from sin and from the brokenness of our minds and it gives us vision and an understanding of our unity with Jesus Christ that can never ever be separated because we are in his love and John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 I'm going to read these and then I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8 1 through 4 Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he returned to the temple all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery when they had put her in the middle they said to him teacher this woman was caught in the very act of adultery now Moses and the law commanded us to stone such but what do you say and they said this in verse 6 testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them so when they had continued asking him he stood up and he said to them let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her again he stooped down and wrote on the ground being convicted by the, being convicted by their conscience those who heard it went out one by one beginning with the elders even to the last Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had stood up and saw no no one but the woman he said to her woman woman where are your accusers did no one condemn you and she said no one Lord Jesus said neither do I condemn you go and sin no more let's go to Romans chapter 8 I'm gonna read the verse first four verses of that chapter there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did by sending his own son <clears throat> in the likeness of sinful flesh concerning sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit when we think today about where we are at as a nation maybe in our own family or in our marriage or in our own personal life about where we are at in our thought life where we are at in our vision as a person or just the content of our life I think a lot of times that can be characterized 
as a struggle. I think there's so much struggle that goes on inside of our minds that really is not the will of God. We struggle with things that's not God's will because there are things that have been settled in the Bible that if we would understand them and fellowship with it and commune with it, that we would live in this peace that we, that we sang about this morning. And so this, I love this topic. And I, Pastor Bailey told me that he's been preaching on the finished work. And so I love this topic so much. Paul here in Romans chapter 7 is really struggling. He's, in a not, he's not in a very good place mentally. <clears throat> he's saying things like in Romans 7 verse 15, For what I am doing I do not understand. Romans 7 verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man. You ever do that before? Have you ever cried out to God? God, I'm such a wreck. <laughs> I'm such a mess. Have you ever done that? I have. I have. I've done it. I, I've done, I do it all the time, every day. Lord, my gosh, would you... Well, I'm such a wreck. And he says, who shall deliver me? Who? And I love that. He doesn't say what, but who. Because the, the answer here is the who and not the what. I think the world today is looking for the what's, right? The, the books, the help, the self-help, the psychology, the medication, everything that is, that is in this world that, that is just set on resolving the problems of, of our thinking and our problems mentally that can only be resolved by a who, and that is Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that in a second. Amen? Wow, this, you guys, this is a, it's a good feel in this room. You guys are responsive. It's awesome. I think I heard a Texan amen over there. <laughs> Paul showed us that Christians still wrestle with remaining and dwelling sin. He said, what I hate, and he uses a Greek word there, miseo, which we get from English, miserable. The thing that I hate, I do. I hate, I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's so miserable. I hate to do this. And there was a struggle. Paul was not in a good place mentally. Would you agree with that? Amen. He's not in a good place mentally. We almost think he's bipolar. He, he had a, and I remember David Wilkerson way back in the day, um, you know, when there were still dinosaurs on the earth, I read this book, and that's how old I am. I read this book called Spiritual Schizophrenia. I don't know if you remember, remember that book, a white book that had like a person's head on it, was split in half, and it was like a picture. Like, and it described the difficulty that people have about the, the, the wrestling that they have in their mind. And I remember as a teenager, before we met this ministry, just reading through that book, just like thinking, oh God, what is the answer? And then at the end, it's like one sentence, the cross of Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, I need to know more about that. Paul here is struggling. And Paul describes something that's very broken inside. And he's experiencing the brokenness of his own humanity. I think as a Christian, this is our experience. But there's three words I'd like to talk about in these verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There's three words I want to just look at with you for a couple minutes. And then we're going to go into some answers that I think have really helped myself and these are going to be answers that I think you've heard in this ministry for years. Number one, law. The word law. And law here in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, is a word that doesn't only speak of the law of Moses. But get this, but the law here is characterized as an ideal. Something unchanging. Something that's constant. Something that affects everything and everyone with real consequences. What Paul is talking about here is, is he's talking about a law which is a spiritual principle, a, a principle that is that a principle that could either be religious, moral, social, financial, or physical principles 
that if we follow these principles, if we follow these principles, then this will warrant acceptance. We'll feel accepted. If I can keep these laws, with these principles, I will feel good about myself. I'll feel accepted. And number two, I'll be celebrated. Now, how many laws today in the culture that we live in are created that are set that are not necessarily even biblical laws, but come into our culture? <clears throat> and these are laws that if obeyed, if we meet these laws, then we're accepted. We're part of it. We're in. We're in the, we're the, in, in the inside. And then secondly, we're celebrated. People are like, pat in the back. I don't know about you, but I never was really able to... I'm not a compliant person. There are two, there's people that are in this room that are very compliant, and that's great. And there's some people that are not compliant, and that would be probably me. And that's why I love this church. The law here is talking about a principle. It's a principle here. It's like the, the law of gravity. It's constant. It never changes. And it impacts everything around it. And that would be a good example of that would be the law of gravity. Uh, gravity here is something that always acts the same and it can, will never ever change every day. Gravity is going to be the same. And so Paul uses this law as a description of the law of, the sin, uh, the law of sin and death. And he's also using this to describe the law of the spirit. And we, we can get into that in a minute. The law Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 7 is something that always brings about the awareness of our brokenness and our error. Okay? It's always pointing out one thing. You're broken. Here's the law. This is identical. This is, uh, this is ideal. And you're never going to reach that. There are going to be days you can do it, and then there's going to be days that you can't do it. And this only reveals our brokenness. And when we live in these laws, we're just living in self-awareness. We're living in self-consciousness, Right? Like there are these dietary laws, like, you know, your age is this, this your height is this, and this is what your BMI or whatever your weight's supposed to be. <laughs> and if you're not there, then you're not accepted in certain groups, and you're not celebrated by certain people. Or how about the financial law, the law of success? If you're making X amount of figures a year, then you're part of this group of people that accepts you and that you're celebrated, Right? Or if you're a great golf player, I, I live on a, next to a golf course, and I don't play golf at all. And I wish I could. I, my, my, my son and I, we bought a putters, and we went out there, and we got ran off. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just one of those things, uh, golf and tennis, that, you know, I'm not allowed to play that because um, people could get very hurt. I play hockey, though. I love hockey. I grew up in New England. Hockey, does anybody play hockey here? One, one for the son of the Texan, right? <laughs> Plays hockey. I grew up playing hockey, and uh, <clears throat> I've had my share of hockey balls in my forehead and hockey pucks, and maybe that's what happened to me. Um, so law here is talking about something that brings about awareness of our failure, that I don't measure up, you know? And this is what Paul is talking about. Paul said in Romans 7, verse 7, I would have not known lusts or covetingness, coveting if the law had not said don't covet. Paul said, I was alive, I was enjoying life, and then suddenly told me, someone told me don't covet. And then I was like, oh my gosh, all I can see is coveting, right? And this was the law. And so what happens here is, is that Paul is talking about in Romans 7, he's saying, I cannot experience lasting 
a lasting sense of worth, a lasting sense of value. I cannot live in a lasting sense of acceptance as long as I'm living trying to meet these laws. There's the other side, too. There are people that can keep these laws to a measure, just enough to give the right impression. And when we are in these laws, people that, those of us that can keep these laws, we're very good people at mandating these laws at other people. Well, if you just did this, right, or if you just had this financial plan, or if you just had this budget, or if you just had this kind of car, or if you just had this kind of wife or husband, then you'd be meeting the cut and like me, right? And it's, they're always great about pointing out how well they're doing meeting the law. And that was, that's what we call what? Pharisaism, right? The Pharisees were great at keeping the law, they thought. Until Jesus came in Matthew chapter 5, he points out seven things in Matthew chapter 5, and he says there's seven areas, seven, I had five, seven areas that you are not meeting the law. And, 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 and we know that, right? Jesus says, if you even have a thought against your brother, you've murdered him. Moses said you could think, Moses is talking about externals. Jesus comes in and says, I'm making the law that much more impossible. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law or forbid the law. He said, I came to fulfill it because here's the reality. The law is that your heart is a wreck and the law of Moses allowed you to hide that just by your actions. But Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. And, and you know what's beautiful? First John says, and I'm getting ahead of myself. First John says that God knows our heart. And if he knows all things, he still loves us. And that's our, con that's our confidence. Amen. And so... Paul here saying, we cannot experience any lasting sense of value when we keep a law because the law will always point out our lack of ability and will always point out our sin. The second word I want to look at here is sin. Sin here, Paul is talking about the law of sin, right? So every law that's given always has the same result. You're guilty. You're broken. You can't, you can't meet up, whether it's religious or the law of Moses or just these laws that we have in our culture. And so what does that result in? The law always results in one thing, sin. And what is sin? It's just missing the mark. It's missing the mark of what we were created to be. And I was thinking this morning that like we cannot under, have a vision for our lives, a missional vision, a vision to win the loss, to impact our neighborhood, to see our marriage grow, to see our kids grow, to reach the other side of the world. We can't have that vision if we're always living in Romans 7 where it's just I, 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 I. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says the word I 30 times. And the chapter only has 25 verses. <laughs> Paul's a wreck. He's a mess. And I've been there, and I know that, what it's like. Sin is really brokenness. It's missing the mark of what we were created to be. Healthy people, healed and whole, with an incredible eternal purpose. And that's what your Bible school is about here. That's exciting. Discipleship school. And sin can be defined as brokenness, because we're broken. Get this. We are broken. We're broken. Because at certain times in our life, we were broken. Because a broken someone or broken something, broke us. Got that? We're broken because somebody broke us, or a system broke us, or something happened to us that broke us. And we're broken, and whether we've defined it or not, we go, and we go, then we go around and we break people ourselves the same way we've been broken, because we, these broken people, create laws that are so idealistic and so unattainable, unattainable even to ourselves. And we do that in church, we do that in marriage, we do that in family, we do that in every area of our life, in our health. 
we create laws because we're trying to get to that place where we feel and know and sense our value and that we could be celebrated. And we can't do that because sin is always the result of the law. The law of sin is like the law of gravity. It always pulls us down. It always pulls us down. We're having a great day and then, oh, next day I'm depressed. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with temptation. I'm struggling with these thoughts and nobody knows about it. But I'm doing okay and, and I'm compensating in my life. And, you know, in Texas... Um, one of the things that just has astounded me is, is that pastors don't have friends. A lot of pastors don't have friends. It's really hard, and I talk to pastors sometimes, and they talk to me, and we're not a big church in Texas, and so I'm not a, any, I'm not a threat to any pastor, and so we meet sometimes, we sit and talk, and, and I think about these guys, and they're struggling, and they're struggling because um, they just don't understand their values sometimes because they're basing their value on their church attendance and how much money is in the in the offerings and if they've got the latest greatest program that the Joneses church down the street has and and they're just living just trying to cope and compensate because of the brokenness they have inside and what the problem is with the law is this or any law in our life any law that we put in our life that's not a law of the spirit of life in verse 2 anytime that that law of the spirit of life is not there we're going to create laws so that we can feel better about ourselves. You know, I think most people, if not everyone, doesn't want to sin because they don't feel good about it. I think someone may even stop sinning or try to stop sinning because they want to feel better about themselves because we are people that have a moral conscience. But that's not transformation. There's nothing that God can do to the broken mind of the flesh. Romans chapter 7, Paul's talking about the broken mind of Adam. And why are people breaking people today? Why are we broken today? Because generation after generation after generation, people are breaking people. And it goes all the way back to the first broken person. And who is that? Adam. Adam's the first broken man. And he had a broken marriage. And he had a broken family. And he had a son that killed another son. It was a wreck. His, his whole family, his whole world broke because of sin. And from that time, people are breaking people. And then the law of Moses comes in because there's a sense that in the, in the Israeli mind, that in the Jewish mind, that if I can just obey God, then, then I will be loved and accepted and I'll be celebrated. And God had to give the law of Moses in Exodus 19 because that's not possible. And God said, let's do this once and for all, make this very clear that there is no way that you and I could ever qualify for a relationship with God where we feel loved and accepted <clears throat> and, and celebrated in the body of Christ here. There's no way to do that by, by, by obeying the law because the law justifies nobody. It, even if you and I could obey all the law, we'd still not be justified because the law doesn't have the power to justify. Only one person has the law has the ability and the right to justify or to condemn. And that's the next word. There's only one person in the universe that can say, you're just, you're unjust, you're forgiven, you're condemned. And who is that? Jesus Christ, right? Even if we could hit every point of the law, even in our mind we're thinking perfectly, Paul says to the Galatians, no man is justified by the law. Amen? No man, no man is, none of us are justified because we're making a certain figure of money every year or we have so many kids or our kids are able to do this and do that. Are you a parent? And I am, I'm a parent of a 
now a six-year-old, and I don't know if you experienced, I, I thought I knew God, and then I had a, we have a son. It's like, man, I need to go back to Bible school. I called Pastor Shiloh, I said, I need to come back. <laughs> I like, you know, am I even born again, you know? So, and then your kids grow up, and they have kids, you know, and then you're a grandparent, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not a grandparent yet, so maybe the grandparents could tell us. <clears throat> Do you guys feel like you've arrived? I don't know. Yes? No? So sin is brokenness, and we're broken, and because we're broken, we break the law. And because we break the law, the third word is we are, we're condemned. The law tells us what to do, but gives us no power. Gives us no power, gives us no inspiration. I think in some, in the world of business and corporations, in the sales world, there are these laws that people put up, like, you know, if you do this, you get that, and it, it doesn't work. Motivation doesn't come from the law. Uh, obedience doesn't come by laying down more law. It only creates more sin. And we sit, we, my wife and I lived in, a, in Ukraine. We've lived in some communist places. And we have seen that the more the government lays down laws, the more loopholes there are in society. And there's more lawlessness. The third word is condemnation. And this is what happens when a law has been broken. So we have law. Law leads to sin. Sin leads to what? Condemnation. And condemnation is, is well, I'll say it again. Law, sin, judgment is the next word, really. Judgment is when we, we break the law. We're judged. We're judged guilty. And then condemnation comes, and that is the carrying out of the sentence of the, of the broken law. You ever been in traffic court or in court and the judge hands down a, a ruling and you're found guilty and you get a penalty. You leave that courtroom pretty, pretty condemned, don't you? Or something happens, maybe you do something in a relationship or maybe in your personal life and you just you wreck something because you're just wrecked yourself and you feel very, you feel judged. You're judging yourself and you feel condemned. You know, Jesus went after people like this. He went after people that were condemned because he had a message for them. Remember the man that was blind? I think it's John 9. And it's just this crazy chapter. It's this amazing chapter. This guy gets healed. Jesus heals this guy. And, and there's this uproar that he was healed on the Sabbath. Jesus goes find, go and finds him because he finds out that he was cast out of, the, out of the temple. Jesus goes and finds him. I think that when we think of the compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 9, the compassion of Christ is is that he sees our brokenness, he sees our sin, and he doesn't come with this condemnation or this finger, like, I told you not to do that, like we do as parents. I told you not to do that, don't you really? You know, my dad told me, he saw me talking to my son, and he goes, he goes, you know, I think you say something once, and that's it, you know, my son gets it, he's going to be converted at the, at the moment. My, my dad's like, Chris, like, you know, I had to tell you like five or six times, and that was just in one day. And then after a few years, he got it. And so condemnation comes. Yeah, I'm still learning grace. <laughs> what happens when the law is broken? There's judgment. And then there's condemnation. It's the carrying out of judgment, penalty, and it impacts our minds. Condemnation here points to criticism, a censure, a denunciation, a rejection, or disapproval because we've offended or failed in a law. Why? Because we're broken. And so there's law, failure, judgment. Then there's guilt. Guilt is something I can point to. This is what I did wrong. Then there's shame. 
And shame is different. Shame is when I can't point at what I did. Shame is when I realize something's wrong with me. Okay, I did that, I broke that law, that was wrong, but now shame is when I internalize guilt and I feel, I think this way, there's something wrong with me. And we walk around in shame. And shame is not God's will. And then we experience the alienation from the life of God. And we feel this alienation, so we think, I've got to get back to the law. I could get back to hard, trying harder. I gotta, I gotta work better. I gotta work on myself harder. And the more we try at this law of like, you know, finance or success or religion or whatever it is we're working on this law, the more we realize that we're not there and we're in this cycle. And Paul is feeling this condemnation in his mind. And at the end of the chapter, he's he says, "Who? I need a who? I need a savior. I need a deliverer." Paul felt and he knew sin through the law. Here's the way out, and then I want to close. <clears throat> And I'm not saying this because I've arrived. Like, okay, guys, you all listen to me because I'm, you know, the successful one here. I'm just saying that this is something that we learn until the day we see Jesus face to face. The law can only judge but not condemn. The law can say you're guilty, but someone else has to carry out the judgment. Somebody else has to carry out the condemnation. Somebody else has to carry out the sentence. And the judge is the one who condemns. He's the only one that can issue a sentencing, and he does. John chapter 8. Where are your accusers? Yeah, she broke the law. She was guilty. And she was in shame because she's in the middle of a group of professional religious mafia that are enforcing the law. <clears throat> she's ashamed. And what does Jesus do? He says, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. And he says, neither do I. And he, what he's basically saying is, I'm the only one that can pass any kind of judgment on you. And then he says, what does he do? He sets her free. Go and sin no more. That's what Christ does with us today. The law is effective in telling us what we have done wrong, where we're falling short. And, and, and the more we try to obey that law, the more we try to do it, even with this religious, sincere motive that we have inside of us, the more we realize that we're not making it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But what is condemned? There has to be condemnation. Here is sin, God is the God of justice, and there must be some kind of condemnation. There must be a carrying out of the sentence. And what is being condemned? Well, Paul talks about it here in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He condemned sin, or verse 3, I think it is. He condemned sin in the flesh. What's condemned? You? No. Because that would be shame. You know, one thing I'm learning as a parent is that when, we, when I correct my child, pray for me, <laughs> When I correct my child, I don't want him to be associating what he did wrong with his identity. Romans chapter 7 says, what I'm doing is not my identity. It's no longer I that sin. Amen? Praise the Lord. It's no longer us that are sinning. And it's like, well, that sounds like a cop-out. That sounds very irresponsible. That sounds like a person that has no sense of conscience in their life. We're just saying that what Christ has done, he's condemned sin in the flesh. He's done it effectively, and we are no longer our sin. We are now separated from our sin. And I think in any kind of an addiction, any kind of addiction that we struggle with in our lives, the first step of freedom is when we separate our identity from the sin. I'm no longer that sin. I'm a child of God. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 17. We are a new creation. What is condemned? Sin in the flesh. The believer is never condemned because we are in Christ. And Christ will never be condemned. And so we will never be condemned. We have this absolutely blessed assurance of our security in Jesus Christ. And so lastly, um, we are set free. 
And it's where I want to just do some vision, just do some vision casting. And because God sets us free to do what? To live a life of mission and excitement and a life of faith adventure. And if you've been in this ministry and Pastor Bailey's church here for any length of time, you're going to hear this. You're going to see vision. You're going to see people walking, taking steps of faith. You're going to, Pastor Doug is with a bunch of teenagers right now in Montreal, and that's an amazing adventure of faith right there. I don't know if I could do that. That's incredible. And what does this do? Christ in us creates vision. Romans, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Do you remember how Isaiah the prophet, he's six chapters into his ministry. He's a prophet. And he's in chapter 6 and he, he realizes, he sees the throne of God and he's like, woe is me. I am, I'm a man undone for I've seen, the holy, <clears throat> I've seen the holiness, the presence of God and he's undone. And what happens? God sends an angel with the tongs from the altar and, he, and the angel's got to take tongs because the angels can't touch that. Because it's holy. It's a, it's a sacrifice of Christ. It's a fire of the Lord. And then this, these tongs are taken. There's a rock. There's a, there's a, there's a stone that's on fire from the, from the altar. And he puts it on Isaiah's lips. But sinful man can touch that. Why? Because angels have no idea about redemption. It's, re- redemption is not for angels. It's for broken people. And so after he's cleansed, what happens to Isaiah? God says, who will go for us? And it's like, I want to leave you with this question. If you and I could, if you and I could, um, could imagine ourselves doing something where we would never, ever fail, what would we do? We'll fail, but there's never any condemnation. What would you do? And, and so Isaiah hears the Lord say, who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, I'm going to go. I can do this. I can, because God is gracious, he's faithful, he's, he's kind, he's merciful. And what happens is this, is that, is that there's another law that takes over. There's the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is it's, the cycle always ends the same way. I try to obey the law, and I wind, up, I wind up in failure. And then what happens? Well, something else comes in. It's like an airplane stationed at the airport. And it appears to be grounded under the physical laws of gravity. But at any moment, it is, at any moment it's directed, it can lift off and fly above the loads of gravity that, that it's subject to. We are like that airplane. You know, the devil looks at us, we look at ourselves, other people look at us, and you can say so easily, that plane is grounded. But any, at any moment, there's another law that can take over, and that plane is no longer a subject to the laws of gravity. In us, we're the same way. We live this life in, fl- in the flesh, and there's certain laws that are in our life, but at any moment, through the quickening of the Holy Spirit, through understanding what truth is, the finished work that Pastor Bailey's been preaching about, when we get that and we assimilate that and we meditate on that and we receive it in such a new way, then the Holy Spirit quickens our spirit. And then <clears throat> there's something that's new in my life, and I don't even realize it, but I'm set free from the laws of sin and death. Some, some preachers and some churches will say the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law. Wrong. That's not our sanctification. Our sanctification is that it's already done. And there's nothing else I have to do. And all I have to do is just get up in the morning. And, and as soon as my feet hit the floor, I'm a success story. And the devil's like, you know who you are. And I, I always say, yeah. You're exactly right, Satan. And I probably don't even know the, the, the whole thing of it. But God, <clears throat> but God who was faithful, he's rich in mercy, showed us grace. And there's a new law that takes over in our life. 
And that law is the love of the spirit of life. And that is like, man. Um, so I know I'm talking, I'm speaking a long time here, but I'm going to finish now. Uh, we are um, we're planning a trip. Um, two years ago, I was in Iraq, uh, northern Iraq, and we were ministering to the Kurdish people, which are descendants of the Medes and the Persians in the Bible, and we just made some great contacts. And all the way there, I'm just, you know, you, you're on a mission trip, and the first thing you're thinking, I'm so not worthy to do this. And the, it's true, and that's why, but there's no condemnation. And we say, God, I'm not worthy to, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy here to talk to anybody because, you know, but it's God. And when we were there, God really spoke to our hearts. And I feel like as a church in Texas, one of the things that we had was in our heart when we moved there, there were three things. And one of them was that God would give us a bridge to the Middle East. And so by God's grace, and you can pray for us, in November, uh, we're going to take a team of people just to look at some exploratory uh, work in Dubai. Uh, there's a, Pastor Mati Servio has told us that there are people there that are waiting for a church. Maybe we could go and somebody would get a vision to move there. Um, and then after that, we're going to go back to Kurdistan and we're going we're gonna to connect with a disciple there. His name is Abraham. And the first time we were there, we met him and he um, had just gotten saved. He was 19 and his family threw him out on the street, disowned him, and he was literally homeless. Uh, he spoke English, and he just went with everywhere where we went, and he was our translator. And he's just a guy, just pray for him that we could get him to Baltimore. He's a guy that is a disciple. And when I look at Abraham, and I look at these people in other places, or when I look at my neighbor who's making a decision for Christ, or when I look at my son, or when you look at each other, or when I look at you, I see the finished work in action. The finished work is the only message that's going to give us a vision that's bigger than ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to live in Romans 7. Guess what? If you're in Romans 7 today, just say, okay. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about that but God. And I'm going to look at the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at Jesus Christ. And he says to this woman, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And you know what's amazing about the Bible? There's no closure there. Did she go and sin? We don't know. That's not the issue. That's not the question. The question is, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. That's the issue right there. Did Noah get drunk again after he, after he, was, you know, after he was caught and, and he was you know, the, the first man after the flood? We don't know. If, we don't even see him going and going through this whole thing of repentance. Why? Because we can't take the Holy Spirit out of, our, out of our Christianity, out of our sanctification. It's Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. Amen.